All right, hello everyone. Welcome back. We're going to uh, next take a look at uh, pest management. So this is going to be your introduction to IPM or integrated pest management. We're going to start off with talking about IPM. We're going to break down these words. We're going to look at these three words that make up IPM, integrated pest management. So we're going to look at the definitions uh, to start with uh, separately for each one of these words. Integrate means to combine two or more things to form or create something. Pest, the animal or insect that causes problems for people, especially by damaging crops. And then management, the act or skill of controlling and making decisions. So, integrate. We're going to have a couple ideas for, for uh, our uh, pest management plan. We're going to come up with that. We're, we're incorporating or integrating two or more ideas for a pest to manage them. And when you look at the uh, the definition that's, I got this out of the uh, uh, Ornamentals and Turf uh, book, but it is the combination of appropriate pest control tactics into a single plan to reduce pests and their damage to an acceptable level. See there again, we have the combination, which is to integrate, to take care of pests. We're going to manage or control their damage to that acceptable level. And when we talk about acceptable level, that is going to be different with everybody that we come across in um, our horticulture career. What may be acceptable to me may or may not be acceptable to you. And I have a lot more experience on the lawn care side. And, you know, if you were to drive by my house, you're going to see a green, lush grass, but you're going to see some weeds in it. You know, I'm not. You know, a little bit of clover is not going to bother me. But for my clients, on the other hand, clover is, is a problem. We go ahead and spray for that. For one, when it comes to talking about cost, I, 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 don't, I don't see the value in me spending a couple hundred bucks um, on speed zone to, to spray out my lawn. I can live with that clover. But IPM, it was initially developed for agriculture. It provides a process for identifying pest problems. you got to know what you're, what you're looking at. And taking this class and the other classes in your, in your horticulture program, you guys are going to be able to recognize um, these pests a lot quicker than your homeowner. It's designed to determine whether the cost of a particular pest management action is worth the result. And think about it on me. Yeah, I put fertilizer in my yard. It's green. Looks good. It's striped up real nice. Looks like a baseball field. But I do have some weeds in it. Me, I don't want to spend the money to, to, spray, to spray the weeds. For one, one of my IPM uh, ideas that I'm incorporating is I'm mowing it at you know four inches. Uh, sometimes I may mow it at four and a half, but I'm letting the grass get a little taller, which is going to shade out some of those weeds. It's going to shade out definitely the Bermuda grass, so that's helping in the long run. Me, I just don't want to spend that money. Treatments are not made according to a predetermined schedule, and coming from a lawn care side. Um, you know, a lot of things were predetermined. Uh, well, especially with your fertilizer. When you put out your fertilizer application, you know, two spring apps, you know, you're going to lime in the, uh, the winter. Um, you know, we always lime January, February, we do a uh, pre emergent fertilize. Same thing in either April or May. Then we're going to do, um, you know, an application in the summer. We may put out lime in the summer too, it just depends on the client or, you know, results of the soil test. And then we're going to do plugging and seeding with the fertilized application. And then we're going to do uh, something like 24511 uh, in, in the winter. And that was predetermined. But the thing that 
really kind of bothers me, um, especially with a predetermined schedule like that. You have a lot of lawn care companies that will mix their fertilize with their pesticide. So they're going out, they're going to fertilize their lawn, they're going to broadcast the entire turf, which you, you know you need to if you're putting out a liquid fertilize. But you necessarily have to mix the pesticides in with that fertilize. No. Um, and we're, we're going to talk about spot treatment, you know, a little bit later in this lecture. But I'm always a big fan of not mixing my chemicals. I'd rather spot spray that clover for that client that has a problem with it. And I'm going to put out a granular fertilizer application. It's not going to be predetermined that I'm going to go ahead and mix everything together and do it in April or May. I'm not going to do it again in June. You know, if I'm going to go by and fertilize, or I may just be going to the client's house and doing an inspection. Do they have weeds? Do they have uh, Do they have brown patch in their lawn? That's part of an uh, pest integrated pest management plan. But I don't I don't like having that predetermined schedule. You know, if you do have the schedule for your fertilization, you don't necessarily have to mix it with your pesticides. Um, treatments. They're made when and where monitoring has indicated that a pest will cause unacceptable conditions. So I'm out applying fertilizer. I notice that the client has has some clover. I've, I've monitored it. I've noticed it. And I may want to grab the backpack sprayer and just spray that one little area, spot treatment. Or some clients may not want the pesticide. Call them and say, hey, we've got some clover. You want me to take care of it? Yes or no. Depends on what their... What their um, uh, aesthetic value is or their their aesthetic level some unacceptable conditions that we need to take a look at uh, when it comes to IPM and the pest the pest that's uh, causing the problem are they causing economic damage does the damage directly affect production of economic goods no not for lawn care industry unless you're on a turf farm but economic damage is a lot easier to see uh, in agriculture, you know, we've all drove by a cornfield that's, you know, been damaged uh, by insects or it gets a type of fungus. We've all seen that sometime in our life. Medical damage, damage caused by passing of pathogens to humans and domestic animals. And that's a big problem. You know, we see that with like mosquitoes. Very big problem. So, yeah, we are going to spray some pesticides for that. Aesthetic damage, the presence of plant or animal that causes an undesirable change in appearance. That, that's when it all comes down to personal preference. You know, what, what can you visually accept to look at and what, what becomes a problem for you? And then nuisance problem, the annoying coexistence. Um, you know, we all know that there's probably a cockroach somewhere in our house or we know somebody that probably does have a cockroach. We can kind of accept that as long as we don't see it. When we see it crawl across the kitchen floor, we get a little, uh, we get a little annoyed, and we don't want to uh, to cohabitat with those guys. But economic damage, easily assessed in agriculture, forestry, or other related settings. You know, true. You know, driving by that cornfield, we've all seen it. Some, you know, household examples: uh, termites eating your wood. You know, in your home, uh, garden vegetables being lost. You've invested money in in, in, in planting a garden. You don't want to see that lost. Uh, clothes moths. You've maybe got a wool coat. Uh, hanging up in, in the closet, and you've seen the malls damage that. Dutch elm disease. You know we've we've all heard about the Dutch elm disease and what it's done to um, to our elm trees around here. You know 
examples you have the uh, the, um, the garden plants getting eat up and then you have the termite damage here in the home and most of these are costly you know this not necessarily as much as this but uh, this right here you know you can you can invest a lot of dollars uh, repairing that damage medical damage pathogens trimmings to humans and domestic animals by common wildlife you know we've all heard of the bubonic plague Lyme disease from ticks you know, we also get Rocky Mountain spotted fever uh, encephalitis malaria from the mosquitoes uh, histoplasmosis you know an internal fungus infection we get from breathing in like the dust from chicken manure and, and various other um, uh, birds taxoplasmosis you know affliction of the central nervous system uh, which you know a common cause of this is is uh, pregnant women changing the litter box uh, for, for their uh, for their household cats bubonic plague you know the flea you know is the vector you know the flea is going to bite the uh, the uh, the rat as we see here in the next um, next diagram the rat carries the plague the flea bites the rat drinks that rat's blood that bacteria is growing and growing inside of the stomach and then that flea is going to bite um, us and we're going to get very sick and possibly die from it as it did you know years and years ago um, same thing could happen with your with your animals Lyme disease from the tick you know the tick is the vector uh, it's carrying this sporocity uh, who is who's going to cause the Lyme disease and we've also you know get Rocky Mountain spotted fever my brother actually got Rocky Mountain spotted fever when he was young he had a cast on his arm you know he was always outside playing on the farm he got a tick that got down inside his inside his cast he got very sick from it um, luckily you know you know mom and dad took him to the doctor and they found out what was going on encephalitis and malaria you know big 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 trouble in, in like third world countries you know we've even had some scares you know here in the US West Nile virus stuff like that but you know this is a vaccine that that we should all probably have I know I'm, I'm still in the Army Reserve uh, every soldier deploying you know is going to get encephalitis and, and malaria vaccines they're not going to have to, to deal with that um, and you know I remember my dad and I remember my father-in-law they're both talking about the big chemical trucks that uh, used to come my father-in-law said the truck used to come through the neighborhood where they still live now and they'd be fogging you know they'd release this pesticide into the air to take care of the mosquitoes my dad says remember, remember one time he was at the campground at Myrtle Beach and same truck comes through and they're just you know fogging up the whole area you know putting out a pesticide for the uh, for the mosquito you know they were breathing in that pesticide as well that can't be good for you the easiest thing to take care of mosquitoes is not to have any standing water you know if you're it's a little harder out in wetlands and and you know other low-lying areas you're, you're naturally going to have the mosquitoes but you know at your home you know if you have some standing water you know get rid of that standing water turn over pots outside that may collect water anything that you know um, you know change the bird bath out out you know several times a week don't let those mosquito larvae uh, have access um, to a habitat uh, histoplasmosis you know a serious serious fun, uh, fungus that you can get in the lungs you know cause from from breathing in you know 
the dust from chicken manure. And that's, you know, long exposure. It's not going to happen, you know, once or twice, but, you know, possibly people like in chicken houses, you know, that, that are, you know, dealing with thousands and thousands of chickens a day. Uh, taxoplasmosis, you know, the baby, it may contract uh, taxoplasmosis through the placental uh, connection because the mom's infected and the mother is either going to get it from handling contaminated meat or changing out the litter box. And um, when my wife was pregnant with our second daughter, uh, we just found Meow Meow on Renolda Road. And um, my wife called me one day. She said, we found this little kitten, you know, and they, they picked him up and they took him down to the, uh, to the pet store. And the pet store's like, look, you know, you know, you guys want him. You know, they had like an adoption fair or whatever. Yeah, you brought him in. He's yours. I think he got a couple shots there. But yeah, we brought him home. And I was still traveling a lot with work, um, you know, doing a lot of landscape construction jobs uh, out of town, out of state. So, uh, when my wife was pregnant with Sydney, her second daughter, my father-in-law would come over and change the litter box while I was gone uh, because he didn't want her handling uh, the litter box because she could, you know, come down with uh, taxoplasmosis and it would not have been good for our daughter. Aesthetic damage. Now, this is this is the fun part, and this is probably what we deal with more in, in the horticulture side of things. But what constitutes an undesirable change is highly personal. You know, societal attitudes. That That's... That's what it all boils down to. Some people just absolutely think nature is messy and that they've got to clean it up. You know, there's some people that can't stand the look of a wood line. We've had clients, you know, their property backs up to woods. We've cleaned out underneath it and pine needled it and, and done everything else. Yes, it's good money for us, but still, I love looking at leaves falling in the woods. I love seeing a tree, you know, fall, you know, fell over in the woods. Some people can't stand that. They just think nature's messy. Some people have a lack of understanding of the natural world. As we've seen in the natural pest control lecture, um, when we were talking about the, uh, the moths defoliating the, uh, the oak trees in California, people didn't understand what was going on. But that actually was beneficial for those trees. They were defoliated during the hot, dry season where they did lose water through their leaves. And then the manure droppings from the caterpillars uh, actually fertilized the trees later on. People just don't understand what's going on. And ornamental plants are very susceptible to the attitudes. And let's think about that, that uh, um, head of lettuce that we saw just earlier. You've got more cabbage. You're sitting in the, you know, in the garden. You go out there and you see, a lot of, you see the holes in it. Some people is just like, there's no way I'm going to eat that head of cabbage because it's got the holes in it. That means bugs have been all over it. There's no way. Well, all you got to do is peel out that outer layer. And you're not going to see any of those holes. Well, some people see that and they freak out not eating it. Other people are going to see the bug holes, the insect holes, and, and see that as a welcoming because they know that that plant hasn't been subjected to pesticides. Yeah, so what? A few bugs got on it. Well, that's aesthetic damage. Um, and it, it's, it's a personal preference again guys sometimes with aesthetics it's just the appearance of the pest itself I mean this, this spider garden spider you know one of the best natural pest control defenses that we have are spiders and people see it and they freak out now yes I 
do not blame somebody when they see one in their house that they would probably want to step on it. But if it's outside in the garden, and you've heard me talk about the, the one that always uh, got up there in our gutters uh, with the spotlight, and you know he, he, was, he was a resident of my home for, for nearly a month, it seemed. And he'd move that web around every single night, you know, and uh, until he finally got it from the spotlight, and then those bugs and the flies would just fly right into it, and you know he he kept he kept gaining a lot of weight where he was located, and then this box elder bug, you know, to me a cute little guy. Some people see it, they're just they're scared to death of it, but one of the reasons people don't like these box elder bugs is because they like to have a party. They like to all get together. And have a good old time. So yeah, something like this, you know, people are gonna probably freak out. Me, no, because we understand what's going on. These guys, you know, they're not harmful to your plants. They're just they're just living there. They're not they're, they're not gonna do any damage to it. It's just it's just the sight of these bugs that people do not like. Um, tent caterpillars, you know, people seeing this, you know, mad hysteria can you know can uh, can erupt out of this. Simple. Only thing you gotta do is go cut that limb out. The aphids, um, you know, cute little guys. Very soft body. You know, something is spraying off your plants, gonna get rid of them because the body's so soft. They're gonna get knocked off, hit the ground. They're like, you know, dead from that. Um, but you know, you see here, you see the mother aphid and uh, the uh, the young. You know, the males aren't needed to reproduce. You know, most of the time, these uh, these little ones, the babies, are already born pregnant. You know, they're controlling their species that way. They don't need the uh, they don't need the males to, to reproduce. But aphids, some people may see aphids uh, on their oak tree. Then they're going to freak out. Oh, the aphids going to move over to uh, to my rose plant that you know my grandmother gave me years ago. I don't want the aphids to get on there. Well. Most of your aphids are host-specific. You know, if that aphid is on an oak tree, pretty much he's going to stick to to oak trees. He might move from a white oak to a red oak, or or stay in that family. But there are you know different kinds of aphids. So there is an aphid that'll get on the rose bush. But if you see the aphid on your oak tree, it's not necessarily going to move over to your to your roses. So you don't have to worry so much about that, especially with host-specific pests. Um, but with aesthetic damage, fear of future damage causes concern. You see the aphids on the oak tree, you're afraid that they may damage your rose bush. But relief of the fear comes from learning the biology and the ecology of the pest. So you as a horticulture professional, if you get that phone call and a lady's complaining there's aphids on one of her trees and she's not doesn't want it to get on uh, one of the other shrubs, you, know, you can reassure her. Do the site visit, charge for that, and you're not necessarily applying a pesticide. You're just informing the client of the biology and ecology of that pest. Let her make the decision whether or not she wants to apply the pesticide. Sometimes the damage uh, can be the product of the animal's activity versus the animal itself. The problem can be solved by cleaning away the evidence but leaving the animal alone. The spider web. Some people just freak out when they see a spider web. To me, I think it's one of nature's drawings. I mean, look at this web. 
I think it's beautiful. You have the sunlight coming through or you have moisture on it. It just really, really looks good. But other people may see it and they kind of, you know, they get fearful of it, just thinking about the spider. Well, simplest thing to do, remove that garden web. Leave the spider alone. He's doing, uh, he's doing you a favor. He's getting rid of a lot, lot of bad insects in your garden. Aesthetic damage from aphids. You know, we've got the honeydew. You see it here dripping off the uh, the leaf on the right, and then you see the mess that it's you know creating there on the sidewalk. Yeah, and I can understand that's going to be a nuisance uh, walking through that. You know, if you're a jogger or a walker, you don't want to walk through that. And you definitely, if this is at your property, you don't want somebody to come and visit you and park on the street and they have this honeydew dripping um, on your car. But the fear of insects can make aesthetic damage a medical one, which is called entomophobia, based off entomology, the study of insects. Ento, uh, entomophobia, this fear can be overcome. The best way to overcome the fear, guys, is to, to study it. In war, we study our enemy. You know, we're all fearful uh, of that enemy. But the more we learn about them, the less fearful we become, and we know how we can actually, uh, actually stand up for ourselves. Nuisance problems. Groups of animals or plants trying to coexist with humans. We've all had these gnats flying around us. We're outside, especially when you get hot and sweaty. They won't leave you alone. Then sparrows, you know, get up in people's attics, gutters, everything like that. And squirrels, squirrels. I have the best, I have the best natural pest control uh, for squirrels. That's my Labrador Retriever, Lucky. Absolutely has ran off every squirrel. Every now and then we'll see her walk up one. There's one in her mouth, and how she can catch a squirrel, I I don't know. I mean, a squirrel can be a little mean guy to catch, but uh, Labradors can can do it. People come over to our house, even my father-in-law. He's like, you guys have all these oak trees and maple trees. He said, you don't have not one squirrel. I just point to the dog. It's the best way to get rid of it. I mean, I love the little guys. I mean, I would never, ever hurt one myself. But, you know, a lot of people have, you know, they have squirrel damage in their house. They can get up in your attic and cause all kinds of havoc. But, uh, you know, we've never had that problem. Invasive plants. You know, you bring in an exotic invasive plant, it's going to take over. Seedling trees, you know, any of the exotics. Think about, uh, you know, some of the nandinas. You know, you plant one, then you've got these little sprouts coming up, little seedlings that's kind of growing out from it. You know, that can be a, that can, that's a very nuisance problem. Pest or guess. No animal in itself is a pest. The way each of us feels about a visitor determines whether the animal is welcomed or not, whether it is a pest or pet. And you see this little mouse, this little cute guy here. How in the world could you hurt this little guy? He's just looking at you with those big, those big black eyes looking so sweet and innocent. But when he's in your house running across the kitchen floor, you know, my wife and kids are going to jump up on the table and countertops. They're scared to death of it. But we go to the pet stores, and they're sitting there at the glass, playing with them, and, oh, look at the little mousey, so cute. Well, it all depends on the situation. In the home, he's a pest. You know, he's this perfect little angel at, at the pet store. Same thing with the mealworms. You know, people bring these into their house to feed their fish, especially tropical fish. But if you open up a bag of flour, and you see a few of these guys in there, you're freaking out. 
So it's all based on uh, the situation. Uh, in the 1970s, the National Park Service they had some some bad publicity uh, when it come to uh, a golf course uh, complaining about uh, their players and the residents around the golf course being bit by mosquitoes a lot. Uh, there was you know large population mosquito larvae uh, in a nearby river. Well, in that river. You had local farmers and, and some of the um, not so lucky residents of the area, uh, people that you know didn't have good jobs, um, but they fished a lot and that supplemented their diet. They were actually able to, to go to the river and, and support their family. You know they were providing food for their family. Well, golf course residents kept complaining about being bit by mosquito. Well, the National Park Service came up with the idea to introduce Bacillus thuringianus into the river to kill all the mosquito larvae. Well, this really upset the farmers and the other residents because the mosquito larvae was the number one food source for the fish that they fished for. So, was it a pest or guest? We're looking at two different sides of uh, uh, two different sides of uh, two different teams. Golf course residents, it was a pest with your farmers and, and, and you know lower, lower income making families the mosquito larvae was a guest because it was helping them eat. It is the human social context in which the organisms exist that determines whether a population is pestiferous and I do believe this is a homework question guys so and guys when it comes to the homework you know I always put up the PDF of the lecture uh, underneath the, the link to the lecture you know if you want to print out the PDFs I actually recommend it you know you can set it where it prints like eight slides per page so you know you're only printing like four pages uh, per lecture and you've got an answer to your homework question there but it's almost always the size of the population not merely the presence of an individual organism that matters to humans well box elder bug. Seeing one, you're probably going to be okay with it. But if you were to get down on your ornamental shrubs and you were to see a big party going on of these bugs, you're, you're going to say, no, these guys aren't welcomed here. Alright, next thing we got to determine is the damage tolerable um, of what the pest is causing. We've all experienced a few fleas on one of our pets. You know, we've seen them scratch. We've seen them kind of itch a little bit. And, you know, we'll take care of we'll take care of our animals. We'll get a flea collar. We'll take it to the vet. You know, they'll give it something. Um, you know, they'll put drops on the back of their neck. But you know, we've just kind of accepted that our family pets are going to get fleas. However, if we get fleas in the cop uh, in the carpet, we can't we can't tolerate that. That's intolerable to us. We're we're fuming mad these fleas are infested our home we're we're not happy same thing we talked about previous cockroach in the cabinet we can kind of accept that it's probably going to happen as long as we don't see it we're okay with it but if we see that one crawling on the floor uh-oh we don't want that and for one if you see a cockroach crawling on the floor that typically means that he's competing for habitat 
he's competing for food. So that means there's several other cockroaches in the cabinet, and they've kicked this buddy out. He's having to go look for food on his own. Cockroaches don't like light. They don't like the cold tile floors. They, they lay their eggs near where you've plugged in the refrigerator or you've plugged in the dishwasher. They like that warmth coming off the electrical cords. And they like the darkness. So if you see one running across the floor, he's out having to hunt for food and, and a place to stay because there's, there's other ones in your home. Total eradication is virtually impossible. In fact, it's actually undesirable. Why? Because it's going to kill the natural pest enemies. It's either going to kill them because they starved to death, or they're going to pack up their clothes and they're going to move on because there's no food source. Then you can upset the broader ecological balance. You need a few of these guys around. However, it is warranted that if you see a new invading species, that you would want to get rid of it. If there's this new bug that's just all automatically appeared, that's not a part of this ecosystem. You want to you want to get rid of it. Um, again, with the injury or damage level, your toleration. It's your toleration without harm to your health or plants of the presence of a pest or related pest damage. How much can you how much can you take? What is your level? Well, to determine that's a three step process. Right, so how much aesthetic, medical, or economic damage can be tolerated? Now, aesthetically, yeah, highly personal. Medical, you're gonna you're gonna want to take care of it. You don't want to hurt your family or, or the general public health. Economic damage, you know, can be personal as well, especially when it comes to gardens or landscape shrubs. If you're a farmer and this is your way of making a living, you're not gonna have you don't want any economic damage. You're you're gonna apply pesticides. Find out how large the pest population can grow before it causes that level of damage. So if you're a farmer and you're growing, you know, 100 acres of corn and, you know, you find your break-even point, let's say if it's 50 acres, you know, you got to grow 50 acres to break even. So anything above and beyond 50 acres, you're making money. And hopefully you're going to make a lot of money off that 50 acres. And then, guys, this is hypothetical. Um, but say you found out... Um, you know, there's a fungus coming through. You price the fungicides. You know how much it's going to cost. Well, how large of a spread of that fungus can you can you stand? You know, if it gets a third of your crop, is that when you need to apply the pesticide? Is it a fourth of your crop? You're determining that because you know if you lose 50% or more, you've lost money. So you've got to set that level. You've got to know how large the pest population is going to cause cause that damage. Because when you're monitoring it, you're, you're going to be going out and inspecting it and finding out how much how, how much of the pest is there. The treatment level to keep the pest population small enough not to cause damage. So you know you may not have to fully eradicate that that uh, pest, but how much are you going to have to apply? Um, to keep it to keep them small enough that they're not doing that damage which is going to cause you some economic damage all right as you can see this this handsome fellow here and I'm not talking about myself I'm talking about meow meow this is the guy we we rescued off Renolda Road and he is he is he is daddy's buddy he's the only other male that lives in my house it's my wife three daughters we have two female dogs and we have two other female cats. So it's just me and him that is prof uh, providing the uh, 
the manly uh, the manly duties of the house. But let's say Meow Meow gets some fleas, and uh, we notice he's scratching, you know, especially in one spot. So my wife gets out the comb. She's sitting there combing him. He's sitting on her lap, and she's combing him, and she's using the comb as a trap. Well, she finds two or three fleas. She puts them in a little water bowl, and they die. Just keep an eye on them. Well, the next day, she combs him, combs him. There's only one flea. So she noticed that the flea population was falling. Puts that one flea in there. He's, he's um, only had one flea. Sorry about that pop-up. Um, well, the next day, we noticed he's not scratching at all. You know, she got all those fleas off of him. She used the comb as a trap. Well, three or four days later, he's scratching again. Sonny combs him again. This time she pulls 10 fleas off of him. She noticed that the flea population is rising. So if she was combing him every day, he's not having any fleas. But if she skips three or four days, he's going to have some fleas. What she's doing there is she's monitoring. She's monitoring for that pest. He's allowing us to notice it because he's scratching. But taking that comb and using it as a trap, we're monitoring it monitoring that flea population. You need to be good at noticing things, and that's what she was doing. My wife was noticing that Meow Meow was itching, she was scratching, so she started combing him. You need to be aware of your activities and how they affect other organisms or other pestiferous or desirables. Well, your activities. Well, the weather's warmer, started leaving the, the pet door open so he can go in and out more, he's outside. You know, we're mowing the grass, um, every time we mow the grass, the cats love running through the yard. You know, they'll chase the birds that's out eating the insects. So they may pick up more fleas. You're noticing what we're doing is causing him to do something else different. Monitoring. There's, there's seven levels of effort. One is hearsay. Oh, you heard your neighbor say this. You know, just common talk, common uh, conversation. Two, level two is casual looking with no record keeping. I ah, just out, just walking through your garden. You, know, you get home from work, you go out there and you look. Three, casual looking with written observation. That's where you're probably going to really start with your garden. You're going to write it down. Oh, notice, notice we had some bugs here. Four, careful inspection with written observation. Five, regular written observation and quantitative descriptions. So you're really taking some deep notes. Six, quantitative sampling on a regular basis. This is probably what you're going to do in a greenhouse or nursery setting. And then seven, statistically valid quantitative sampling. You may not ever do that in our career field, seven. But match the level of monitoring effort to the importance of the problem. What do you, what do you think's the problem? The most common and least helpful are levels one and two. Levels three, four, and five are most helpful in the home and garden. Like I said, you know, you're going to start with number six uh, if you're using it in the greenhouse, especially if we're going to introduce some beneficial insects or other um, biological methods of controlling our pests. Um, you'll start at level three and progress to five if you think the problem's going to keep happening over and over again or if you think it's going to come real serious. We're monitoring. You don't have to count numbers. You can use small, medium, and large and, 
infestation, you know, with Mau Mau. He had a few fleas on him the first time. Well, second, second day, and he had one. You know, when you say a few, how many is a few? Uh, second day, I mean the third day, Coleman had none. Well, three or four days later, notice him scratching again. You call him, uh, he, had, he had more than a few. He had a medium number of fleas on it. I mean, sometimes you don't count every single thing. But what you need to do and what's most important is you must assess the situation at regular intervals. Make record of what you see. And it can be informal, you know. Um, Tanya was making a mental note. Well, Eric, he had, you know, three fleas on him the first day. The second day, I only pulled one off of him. And third day, he didn't have any. And then I waited a few days, and then there again, I found ten. I mean, she was mentally recording it. You know, she didn't definitely go and write it down in a book. But you would keep written records. Let's say if you had a garden, you know, you're wanting to produce so many tomatoes, so many cucumbers. And definitely... If your livelihood depends on it, you're gonna you're gonna be a little more uh, precise about it. But still, even those can be informal. You can use small, medium, and large numbers. Monitoring again. What do you think the most valuable monitoring tool that you could have in your toolkit? Well, the picture should give it away. That's kind of like a spotlight on it, right? It's a flashlight. Why is this? Because the difference in hours of activity, guys, a lot of these pests, they come out at night. They're night owls when we're getting ready to go to bed. These guys are coming out to feast. And the difference in hours of activity is one of the common causes of misidentified pests. An example of this, uh, the book I was reading the other night, um, some professors in California, they did a student garden. They planted a garden. Well, garden was coming up fine. They started going out harvesting some of their crops. They noticed there was holes in, in the crops, holes in the leaves uh, of the crops. They didn't know what was going on. They found some snails. And uh, they were, you know, they were manually removing the snails, not using any pesticide. They thought it was the snails. And, you know, for two or three days they'd go out, they'd find three or four snails. They're like, well, there's no way that few of the snails can do the damage that's being done to our to our vegetables. Well, one of the students said, "Well, I'm, I'm going to take my sleeping bag out there, and I'm going to uh, I'm just going to see what's going on, because you know before the end of the day they'd leave, they'd remove those snails, and you know nothing was there. They'd come back the next morning, more damage. So that student went there with their sleeping bag and a flashlight, and you know she'd periodically wake up and check, and once she noticed that well some birds were coming in." And they were the ones doing the damage to the vegetables. These birds flew in at night, did the damage, and left. And then there'd still be, you know, let's see a few more snails. But they were blaming the snails when it was actually the birds. So, she woke up that morning, she told her professors. And what they did is that they, uh, before they left in the evenings, they put a net over the garden. And the birds couldn't get to it. The problem was solved. Uh, monitoring toolkit. Uh, you know, you may want to take a thermometer with you, you know, because warm weather may speed the development of certain pest populations. But also included in that 
monitoring toolkit would have be a good idea to to have a hands lens, you know, a magnifying glass, you know, an aspirator to, to suck up the, the pest, uh, so you can put it in a Ziploc bag or, 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 or a vial. You may want some sticky traps or pheromone traps, a hand trial, definitely your flashlight, a notepad, and then some pruning shears. So you may take a sample of that plant back to, uh, to your lab uh, and use it under a microscope. What, does, what should you look for? Well, to know where to look for the pest, you must know something about its biology and ecology. But to find out more about its biology and ecology, you must know what the pest is. So really, what's going to come first? It depends on what you know. And being a horticulture professional, you guys are going to know this. If all you see is the pest damage and not the pest, try to answer these questions. So we see damage and not the, not the animal. Evidence of damage. Well, what is it? Well, if we see honeydew, we, we automatically know it's aphids. If we see a presence of natural enemies, is there something that really likes to feast on aphids? If that animal's around, we may know it's an aphid. Relevant human activities. And this, this has a lot to do with maybe, let's say, mice. Um, let's say you, your family produces a lot of garbage. You know, you're not into the recycling thing. So you're taking bags of garbage out to the street. Well, it's during the summer. It's a holiday. So trash doesn't get picked up once a week like it should. It's like on the eighth or ninth day. So you've got more trash out there. You could have had a lot of flies lay some eggs in that, so when you walk by the end of your driveway to go jogging, you're swarmed with flies. Human activities can actually cause more pests. Other potentially contributing activities. Let's say your neighbor backs out of her driveway, hits your, hits your maple tree, knocks a little dent in it, scrapes the bark off, and you get a little wound there. Now you have wood-boring insects making a home there, causing, causing problems for you. Something contributed to them coming there. And then weather and microclimate. Is it seasonally wet, seasonally dry, and something as simple as a microclimate not getting enough sunlight or getting too much shade or being a little wet in a certain area could be a problem and cause pests. So look for each and every one of these guys. Where and when to treat. In timing treatment activities, you often need to consider the life cycles and seasonal variations of both the pest and its natural enemies. With the flea example earlier, we know that fleas tend to be a problem at a certain time of the year. Generation time may be shorter or longer for the seasons, and this has a bearing on the treatment schedule. You know, guys, to, to get rid of bagworms, you want to get rid of them before you see the bags. Beetles, the easiest way to treat for beetles is to get rid of the grubs while they're in the lawn. You don't want to have to deal with them after, after they've already uh, matured into a beetle. Getting them at the grub stage is the easiest way. Mosquitoes, get rid of the, the standing water. Get rid of the larvae that's in the standing water so you don't have to do these applications of, of spraying to get rid of mosquitoes after they've already developed into an adult mosquito. Correct timing is even more crucial in the application of many newer, less toxic 
commercial pesticides such as microbial controls and insect hormones. Take the Bacillus thuringiensis. Its market is Depel and Caterpillar attack. Well, you're going to want to apply this non-toxic control uh, on your trees when you see the when you see the caterpillars. If these caterpillars have already developed into moths. What good is it going to do you to apply Bacillus thuringiensis? It's not going to do you any good. Caterpillars must eat the leaves that has the Bacillus on it. It's not going to do anything when when the the, the uh, caterpillars are already developed into a moth and they flew away. It's not going to do you any good. So you got to know where to treat it and when to treat it. What what life cycle stage of the pest do you need to apply the application? Treatment should only be applied where the problem is most severe and have the greatest impact. That makes sense. Flea example. The fleas are in the bedding and the house, not just the pet. So tactics focusing on the animal are less effective in the long run. Yeah, we can treat meow meow really quick with the flea collar, but if we notice that his bedding has a bunch of fleas in it, we need to get rid of that bedding and get him a new bedding. Me, being a pesticide applicator, I may go and get some uh, granular flea uh, pesticide and apply it with the with the spreader and just put it on the lawn or definitely around the house where I know he's going to be. I may not do the whole yard, but put out some of that uh, granular pesticide. Spot treatment. You need to leave a small, local, untreated residue of pests um, to feed the beneficial natural enemies of the pest. Like I said, if there's nothing for these guys to eat, they're going to leave. And you don't want these beneficial enemies to, to pack up and run. You want them to hang around. Because if you get rid of all of your pest, but for some reason next year they come back, they're not going to have any natural enemies because they've already gone. You need to leave a little bit for them to eat. The natural enemies leave when there's nothing nothing left to munch on. They've got to have food. Um, spot treatment. Treating only the, uh, the critical areas is known as a spot treatment in IPM. And go back to that lawn care example. I'm applying my granular fertilizer. I didn't mix my fertilizer and my pesticide for, for clover in the same tank. I'm putting out a granular fertilizer I see a patch of clover, I'm going to go get a backpack sprayer, and I'm going to spray just that area of clover. I have just got rid of the unwanted clover for the client, and I've only applied it to the area that was needed. It was a spot treatment. I didn't take my my, chem, my gun, my spray gun, and put that herbicide to kill clover all over the yard because I'm having to use liquid fertilizer too. I actually just spot treated where the clover was. I didn't waste my money nor did I hurt the environment by putting uh, a clover herbicide where it didn't need to be. Uh, reading for this for this uh, PowerPoint guys probably want to go ahead and read chapter one in your ornamental and turf grass pest management. You may have already read that. That's fine. And then chapter three in your North Carolina Pesticide Applicator Certification Core Manual. These chapters will kind of coincide with what we're talking about. And generally, I'll tell you kind of what to read after after the lecture. But some of you may uh, go ahead and be pre-reading. I recommend that. But if not, you definitely want to read these chapters right after 
I have uh, uh, did the lecture. And references for this uh, lecture, it came from the Gardener's Guide to Common Sense Pest Control. Um, you guys, uh, if you wanted to pick yourself up a copy, that's great. Um, I don't, I don't use it as a textbook, but I do pull some good information out of here for you guys. So, if there's uh, any questions, please post them to the discussion board or send me an email, and I will see you guys in the next lecture.